0: This episode of Breaking Brave is brought to you by Soul Snacks. Soul Snacks are single-ingredient, eco-conscious dog and cat treats, sourced directly from farms in Ontario and wrapped in fully compostable packaging. Treating your pets never felt so good. Use coupon code BREAKINGBRAVE for 15% off on soulsnacks.ca. That's soulsnacks.ca. This episode is also brought to you by Crank Coffee, the newest member of the Neal Brothers family. Crank Coffee is a new Canadian whole bean coffee brand that is certified organic and fair trade, founded by the Neal Brothers, Peter and Chris. This brand was influenced by cycling, coffee lovers and experts. Check it out at the Neal Brothers online shop and use our coupon code BRAVE for 20% off your first Crank Coffee purchase. Enjoy.
1: Marilyn, it's John Cullen. Hope you're doing well. See, so, listen, I just, uh, been chatting with Stan Edwards this morning, and, uh, I understand you're going to be interviewing him this afternoon. Stan and I used to work together back in the day, another lifetime ago, really. I actually hired Stan right out of college. and We laugh about that quite frequently. Stan and I used to ride bikes together, and, uh, Stan did a lot more running than I did. But I just wanted to, you know, just say, you picked a good man to profile. Stan is just good people. He's the kind of guy you wouldn't want to get give a second chance to. I mean, the guy dropped dead for 30 minutes, 33 minutes. So anyway, I just want to say, enjoy your time with Stan. I know you, you'll, you'll love him. He's a, he's a wonderful human being.
0: Welcome to Breaking Brave. I'm your host, Marilyn Barefoot. And today, bravery takes the form of two human beings, Stan Edwards and his wife, Tammy Edwards. Stan Edwards is a medical miracle. He was dead by the side of the road for literally 33 minutes. Tammy is just as much of a miracle because she juggled four kids, two aging parents, and a suite of medical staff while her husband lay in a coma fighting for his life. These two people are the epitome of Brave. Please welcome Stan and Tammy Edwards. First of all, welcome to Breaking Brave. And I swear, if you looked up Brave in the dictionary, there'd be a couple of pictures in there, one of Stan Edwards and one of his wife, Tammy Edwards. And I'm just so excited to have both you and Tammy here.
1: Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. It's uh, It's been great during this process getting to know you and Tammy and I be able to share the story. So thank you so much.
0: Delightful. And Tammy, thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule with a relatively new job to be part of this with us.
2: Absolutely. It's an honor to be a part of it and just happy to support Stan. Definitely.
0: Excellent. As, as you've done. So let me explain to the listeners that you are are a marathon runner and a triathlete you have valued and put physical fitness up there for you for your entire life and then in august of 2020 you got on your bicycle and were going out for a ride meanwhile tammy was out of town doing a doing an errand so i'd like to start there stan okay (laughs) you were doing like a training ride in august of 2020 over to you. Please tell us where that went.
1: Yeah, I left my house in August of 2020. We just moved here 10 days ago, so I was out exploring the, the roads and did a ride the day before, about 20 miles. And this day, I just came out and went in the opposite direction, and I got about six, seven, I guess, seven miles from my home. Uh, I understand I crossed the street at a stop sign, and this is a rural area. We live in Powhatan, Virginia, and literally laid my bike down and dropped dead of cardiac arrest. And uh, I have no memory of really from a week before we moved in here to the house until about 26 days after. Uh, at that time, uh, I was blessed with four bystanders Stop. One gentleman actually tagged his phone at 211 and called 911, our emergency services here in the U.S. And uh, two other people stopped. One lady with her two-year-old son, another gentleman on a motorcycle who used to be in the military, and they immediately started CPR. Uh, The ironic part was in this intersection to the house, it was even though it was in the country, I was blocking the intersection to this neighborhood. There are houses way off in the distance. And there was a lady there, Annie Edwards, who was actually having a graduation party for her daughter. And she was getting calls saying, there's a body laying in the street. The road is blocked. We can't get to your house, to your party. Well, Annie just happened to tell her daughter, I've got to go do something. Annie just happens to be an emergency cardiac nurse, of all things. So she gets in a car with her daughter, and they come to the scene. And for 11 minutes, the bystanders performed CPR on me. And Annie kind of took over the scene, giving the experience she had. Um, after the 11 minutes, our emergency services arrived. They performed CPR on me for another 22 minutes, shocked my heart three times, emptied all the effort and effort and everything they had in their bag, And on this third shock, I came back to life. Um, They then, because and you have to understand, this is in the middle of the pandemic, COVID going on. So everything had to be done on scene. And how things, we were so blessed that with COVID going on, they were only doing chest compressions. There happened to be another lady stopped that ran up and said, listen, do you need a mask? I have one in my car. So Annie was able to use that and to uh, start the CPR that way until EMTs arrived.
0: I could just take a breath there. (laughs) So you, Stan, have essentially been medically dead for 33 minutes.
1: Correct. Yes. I was legally dead on the side of the road for 33 minutes.
0: Annie Edwards is no relation to your Edwards last name. Not at all. You and Tammy, which is just kind of the wildest thing in (laughs) the world. I would have thought just because I'm just your average person, and I've never had a conversation with a man who was medically dead for, or anyone who's been medically dead for 33 minutes. By that point, I would have thought your brain had lost oxygen to the point where there would be really no coming back to life other than in some sort of a vegetative state.
1: Yes, we were very blessed for that because of Everything that went on, I was rushed to a local hospital, St. Mary's, and put on coat ice because of the fact that my for because I didn't know if I had, you know, brain injuries, it, obviously because of that reason, but also because I could have had neck injuries, et cetera, et cetera. And probably because I have no memory. And obviously, Tammy was, you know, she, she probably can share how she got to the scene and that type of thing at this point. And she's obviously more versed in this in the next 26 days or so because of the fact that I really had no memory of that.
0: So, Stan, before we jump to Tammy and how she might have got this call, oh, my God, Um, what is Code Ice? Because until I met you, until I started to do some research about your journey, I didn't know what that meant. And so I've got to make the assumption that the listeners don't know what Code Ice is.
1: That's where they literally put inject in your veins a fluid to lower your body temperature to ninety one degrees as well as to put you underneath an ice blanket to keep your body temperature down, to protect the organs and that type of thing, not knowing, you know, how long I was or knowing that how long I was out, but they also didn't know what effect it had. So basically it's freezing you for lack of a better term to slow down the process to protect your organs at that state they're in there. There's nothing they obviously can reverse.
0: Okay. So Tammy, I'm going to now ask you, because where were you and how did somebody get a hold of you in terms of what has now happened to Stan?
2: Well, that's the odd thing. I was driving his Jeep and I had a trailer behind me and I had gone uh, to about an hour away to pick up a porch swing. We had just moved in our home about 10 days prior, and so we had been unpacking our boxes feverishly, trying to get settled in, and I had uh, not heard from him because um, that day it was unusual that he didn't have identification on him. And I called him to say, you know, we've been unpacking late every single night. Let's just sit back, you know, take in the view of the lake that we bought (laughs) to have this beautiful home and have a meal outside and just relax. So when I called, um, he did not answer the phone and another gentleman answered the phone and he, um, he said, who is this? And I said, well, who is this? And I said, um, this is, you know, Tammy Edwards, Stan's wife. Um, and he proceeded to say, my name's Bob Haggerty and, and your husband suffered a cardiac arrest. Well, honestly, at first I thought it was maybe he was riding with someone and it was a joke he was the last person on earth that I would have ever expected this to happen to because he's so healthy. Um, So um, it shocked me when it settled in that he had a cardiac arrest. And then they had many, many questions at that point because he was a John Doe at that point. They didn't know who he was, didn't know anything about him, didn't know how old he was. So they proceeded to start to ask me questions as well as, of course, as a wife, I'm asking many, many questions back to him. So um, trying to give them the information that they needed to be able to to treat him and to relay that information to the hospital, which where they they were en route to at that point. Um, so it was it was quite the shock. Quite the shock.
0: Hey, Tammy, I didn't know until you just said that that Sam was writing without any kind of identification. So yes, they found him, yes, they're working on him, yes, they're trying to bring him back back to life, but they have no idea
1: who he is. That was, that was the unusual part because I always leave the house with my phone, with my ID, with a credit card in case I need to stop at the store, and, and my Apple Watch and different things like that, which has cell service, et cetera. And that day, for some reason, I don't know if I was in a hurry. Like I said, I don't remember. So I don't know if I was in such a hurry. I just wanted to get out, et cetera. Or I thought, you know, nothing could happen. I'll just go out for it. I had my cell phone, and that was it. So I was literally a John Doe for a period of time.
0: And how far away were you from the scene then, Tammy, from picking up your porch swing?
2: I was on my way back. And quite frankly, um, when I found out, I I, I kind of went into a panic as well. And here I'm driving his big old Jeep and the trailer behind it. And I remember the paramedic Bob saying, you probably should pull over. I was, And I, I said, no, absolutely not. Just tell me where he's going to be. We had moved to a different area of town, so I really wasn't familiar with that side of town. So he was trying to explain to me where the hospital was. And as I took on just the shock of what had just occurred and thinking, who do I call next? You know, his parents are elderly. I don't want to, you know, shock them with the news. And so I called his son, who's um, in the medical profession. He's a physical therapist, so he's great as far as medically minded, very, you know, calm, and so forth. And, um, so I called him first and then was going to call his other son, but his his son, um, Zach ended up calling Logan and he kind of calmed me down. We got there, you know, pretty, pretty quickly, but we did not get to go back to see him, um, immediately. And I, I kind, I, at that time I felt like, um, it was definitely serious because my mother's had some medical issues over the years and, you know, with heart and, um, and so forth. And and they always just took me right back to her so I could hold her hand and see how she was doing. They didn't let me go back to see him. And that's how I knew it was extremely serious.
0: Just got goosebumps all over just listening to this story with the two of you on talking. It's like everything is just, the story is playing out in front of me very, very visually. Stan, were you taken to hospital? You went to St. Mary's were you taken to hospital in an ambulance or like a – I mean, I guess I should be asking Tammy that question because at this <laughs> point, you know, she's probably filled you in on how they got you there. But how did they get you there?
1: It, it was in an ambulance, and we actually went to a, a smaller hospital because it was closer called St. Francis. But because of the severity of everything going on and the unknowns, they uh, transported me there then to uh, – because they couldn't do the coat ice, the cooling of the body at that hospital, so they immediately took me to St. Mary's. From that perspective, and they applied, they then at that same day did a stent and put that in for the heart because of my Winamaker artery being blocked
0: 99%. So many roads here that I could That's go down. Them. So I had written down that um, it's the left anterior descending artery that was 99% blocked, which is what they call the widow maker. And in reviewing, and we're going to put all these great links when we when we release this next week, in reviewing some of the local footage that you sent me this morning, only 12% of people that have a widow maker happen to them survive, and that's if it happens in a medical setting.
1: Correct. <laughs> oh
0: can't even imagine. So Stan, I'm going to go back. They've now worked on you 33 minutes at the side of the road. The ambulance is on its way. When does your heart start to beat again? That they know that you've, you're alive?
1: They got a heartbeat, a rhythm there on site the third time at the 33-minute time frame from that perspective, because that was really the only reason that they transported me. Because of the COVID, they were less likely to get people or more likely to get people stable in the external environment because obviously it would just put everybody at risk, not knowing if the person's going to survive or not. So, I mean, they did everything in their power. And you have to understand too, I train in the heat because I race in the heat and it was 95 that day. The the pavement was 120 degrees that I'm laying on. And I ended up having second and third degree burns on the back of my calves because they were touching the pavement. Fortunately, I had a a bike kit on, a a shirt and top, and a helmet in which they didn't take off, so I had no other burns there. But that gives you an idea that not only what I went through, but what the bystanders and first responders are going through and, and talking to some of the EMTs afterwards that they're sitting there and just sweating bullets, you know what I mean, from that perspective, trying to do this to save me, so... It was not only an issue of me being dead on the side of the road and also what they had to work through to to save me.
2: And they also were going to call it after 20 minutes of working on him. Um, they said that um, they had worked on him 20 minutes. That was kind of their protocol. And um, they were to call the hospital to get time of death. And Annie Edwards you know, said, you know, I really feel something with him. Um, he's, he's obviously in great shape. He's got a whole bike kit on. He does this. Something is, you know, I've read about this. He's had an event. I feel like he's going to come through this. Can we just try a little bit more? So that extra two minutes and one more shock to the heart is what gave him life, quite frankly.
1: And the interesting part in talking to Annie was that we've learned. And again, you have to understand this has been almost two years now, and we're learning new stuff every time we have conversations, but we've learned from Annie that like two weeks before, she's talking to one of her dark doctors, one of the partners there, and they're talking about how athletes can have this genetic heart failure to where they can have a heart attack and look perfectly fine and everything tests out. And she, two weeks ago, before, prior to this, she just hurt, had this conversation. So talk about divine intervention of giving her that in her toolkit, along with everything else to say, listen, give this guy two more let's do it one more time and that's she gave me the the two more minutes of life from that perspective
0: and in the footage that are in the the local news coverage that you sent me and as i said we'll link that for sure when we when we release this she was interviewed in that and said she just had a feeling Mm -hmm. just had a feeling i I just can't even imagine stan because at 20 minutes to me that feels like they've given you even more than, like, I don't, of course, I wouldn't know what protocols are, but, but 20 minutes is a long time. But on they went, and here you are.
1: We have the utmost respect for the first responders and firefighters and everybody were there, and they were doing, you know, they can't be there for an hour because at some point you have to make a, a legitimate strategic call. And so I completely get there 20 minutes. And, but the fact that Annie already had a relationship had worked and had with one of the other first responders, Charlie Holland, who showed up. And so, you know, when Annie gets there, he sees her, they start talking, they can start doing things quicker, but then they still went their protocol. And then for them to, you know, and I get what they're doing. So I have, we have no, when we love these guys, we have no hard feelings with them and all you were doing exactly what it was, but for them to give and take, and to have that communication together and have that trust that he trusted Annie and they trusted Annie to do, do that piece, you know, God bless them because and thank them because, you know, it's not a lot of people you get to stand up to. And and, and this whole village, and I call Tammy the CEO of the village, and we will get into that piece of yeah. here. But, I mean, so many people touched our path and, and and the trust and trusting in the process that we've had to have and they had. And this was phenomenal because these guys, what they put on the line, guys and gals, men and women and first responders and what they put on the line every day. You don't realize how blessed we are to to have that.
0: In the middle of a pandemic. Absolutely. Right. So there's a layer that just adds such right. incredible complexity to it. All right, Tammy. So I'm gonna go back to you. So now he's at St. Mary's, they've taken him to the bigger, more equipped hospital. They were implementing Code ICE. You're not allowed to go back there. Zach and Logan arrived now at the hospital. And so what now for you, Tammy? I mean, what happens next? He's now being essentially taken care of. But but what happens with you and Stan's two sons?
2: It was um it was extremely stressful because I was really trying to stay strong during that time to be strong for them. You know, they're adult men, but yet that's their father, you know, laying there. And you know, they saw him as this strong Iron Man as I did. So it was just incredibly shocking to us all. Um, and then you know, discussing of when do we let his sweet parents know. Um, mm. because he they're his he is the only child. Um, very, very close relationship. And um, you know, trying to make those choices, navigate that, and really just wanting to see him, to lay your eyes on him, to you know, that always seems to make you feel better, if that makes sense. Let me just see him and make sure he's okay. Um, so we did finally get back there and um, see him. And you can see on the website where he had the the cooling blanket as well as he had the um, the IV in his leg to cool his body down to 94 degrees. and you know they had to you know make sure that he was um, in a coma state not to wake up during that because they're wanting every the brain to rest and making sure that they preserve um, all that they can at that point um they did do some ct scans and it was just um it was a surreal moment actually to be to see him laying there like that cuz he's he's normally pretty jovial and joking and talks a mile a minute and um you know busy doing things and you know if all the family is there he's he's you know in the middle of it all so to speak so to have him in the middle of that room and not Saying a word and and having a big old collar on and hooked up to every machine under the sun um, was quite difficult to say the least. Um, but I did feel like he was in great hands. We were blessed with um, one of the best cardiac doctors in Richmond. Um, just happened to be on call that day on a Sunday. Um, the nurse, uh, the CCU team, the cardiac care unit um, was extraordinary. They were on it they were um you could tell that they were you know taking very very astute attention to him um they were collaborating as a team and um but at the same time were extremely comforting to us explaining things and making sure we were okay
0: that's amazing that's that's amazing how long Tammy did you have to wait before they let you and Zach and Logan go to the back and be able to see Stan
2: we saw him briefly at the first hospital um, okay. before they transported him. Mm-hmm. So we saw him briefly then, um, and then they kind of let us see him, and then we all went separately and drove to the hospital. So we saw him for the second time when uh, he got to St. Mary's, and they had already done the the stent and had um, got him underway for for code ice.
0: And now it's you. Now you're the rock. Now you have to make decisions, provide information, prop up his parents as well as his boys. And you have a daughter and a son as well, Tammy. So here you are, the center of the universe, all of a sudden just having to prop everybody up and set an example and be so brave and so strong for everyone, including yourself and. For Stan, how difficult was that on you? How tough was that for you?
2: It was um a huge weight on my shoulders because I really had to put my thoughts and feelings aside and think about, you know, his sons and his parents and um just kind of take action that way. I I tend to work well under pressure, but um, this was a pressure I had never felt. Anybody um that close to me, um, go through something like he did as serious as it was. Like I said, I've, I've had, my mom has gone through many medical things in her lifetime and my dad passed away, um, at a young age, but to have your, your husband go through this was incredibly difficult. Um, and we'd only been married a year. So it was just all shocking to say the least. Um, I just did a lot of praying and um, a lot of deep breaths. And I just remember I didn't want to leave his side. I don't know if it was because I felt like I could help control the situation or, you know, I could make sure that, you know, I was watching over everything that was being done. And I have enough medical knowledge of, you know, blood pressures and um, the the monitors to know when things are not going well and when they are. And the, And a lot of the questions to ask. I'm not certainly not. You know, medically trained by any means, but just experience over the years and I did lean on his son Zach quite a bit for just medical you know dissertations, okay, what does this mean? What does that mean? I don't understand this and and he was great about that, and his son you know Logan was an incredible support as well.
0: God bless you, Tammy. We like to believe that when somebody's in a coma medically induced or otherwise they still know you're there somehow. They still believe they can feel your energy. They can hear your voice. I would imagine that perhaps that played into it a little bit for you in terms of why you wanted to, to be there a hundred percent of the time for him.
2: Absolutely. Um, I did talk to him quite a bit and I'd whisper in his ear and, um, you know, he started to, his hands and feet and knees and a lot of things started to swell as time went on. And I was massaging him and, you know, moving his legs and I, sort of doing physical therapy with him within the hospital. Zach had told me, you know, this would be a good idea. Make sure we're keeping him moving, those sort of things. I started praying um, Psalms 91. I'd lay my hands on his chest and 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 pray that verse over him every single day and it, it was just uh, I don't know I got real confirmation from God on that one on day 19 when he got off the ventilator. I'll tell you a quick story I went to get cupcakes for the unit um the the nurses unit it was a big day to celebrate you know he still wasn't talking to us he you know they got him off of the ventilator but I went to the cupcake shop got cupcakes there was a gentleman there. Um, and he said, you know, let me go first. And I said, this is a great day to celebrate. He says, that's wonderful. You know, and he asked what was going on. And I gave him the story of Stan. And he said, wow, what a testimony. And he said, you know, I was um, in at served two tours in Iraq. And he said, I was on the front lines of it all and had a really difficult time. And, and during that time, I would read Psalms 91 every day for prayer protection. And that was God's wink to me, that he he heard me. Yes. And, um, you know, I could go into the details of that, but that was just a portion of it. But um, yeah, it was really important to talk to him. And when he still was not quite there and not aware of what was going on, I used to um, FaceTime with his son. So his son could see him, talk to him. Stan could hear him, even though he couldn't interact back his Parents, the same thing. I would call them. They couldn't, they were not strong enough at that point to really, really see all of the things that he was cooked up to. So we would do phone calls. And his mom and dad were adorable because they would say, Now, Stanley, I want you to know that we love you and you're going to be just fine. And remember when you were a little boy. And they would tell stories about, you know, that. And just super encouraging. And I just felt like, you know, they he needed to hear those things. Whether he could hear them or not, I truly believed in my heart that he could. He doesn't remember so, but it was at the very least healing for the people on the other side, for his son who had gone to college, not being able to be there at that time. And his parents who couldn't come to the hospital because of COVID, it was healing to them. But I truly believe somewhere deep down, he had to have heard, all of the love, all of the encouragement, all of the prayers for him.
0: I so believe that too. Stan, am I right when I say you were one day away from needing to be put on life support?
1: Yes, that's where they got it, right after we got to the hospital and on not only coat ice, then we were had we had the first pneumonia, which was aspiration pneumonia. And that's typical from CPR and that type of thing. So I had pneumonia for a few days there. That started to subside and then all of a sudden it didn't go away and then it got worse and now we're like trying to I'm not doing anything I say we <laughs> Tammy and the group and yeah, everybody yeah, was trying yeah. to figure out what was going on going on
0: you would have done something had you <laughs> yeah. been able
1: to but. yeah um and what I learned from that and I, I love Tammy gave me a hard time about this, but I don't know if you're familiar with a neti pot, but a neti pot is a sinus where you use a saline solution and you use distilled water, et cetera, and you use it to rinse your sinuses. My grandmother had taught it to me when I was smaller. It kept me from taking sinus messes. It's one of the best things that I've ever been able to done. Well, long story short... Uh, before we just moved into this new house but prior to that for a year a little over a year we lived in a 100 year old 200 acre farmhouse which we rented about two acres from that but we loved the house it was something that was in the country etc. Well I was using the well water for the neti pot for the sinuses Mm -hmm. 100 year old well probably not a good idea Ernest Tammy she had mentioned that before probably not a good idea oh okay nothing I'm vulnerable I'm I'm invincible nothing's going to happen to me you know it'll happen to somebody else and that is a theme that kind of carries through this a little bit. Um, I was using well water, uh, but in between the doctors, uh, the disease specialists, they brought it in. They first thought I had COVID. They sent me to the COVID floor. I spent two days up there not having COVID, which uh, you know was not good from that perspective. Got me back and we're kind of at a loss. And then one of the doctors figured out that there had been a parasite in the water, which was in my system. But it only affected you when your when your system gets low, and your immune system gets low. Well, mine probably couldn't get any lower than it was, so it started attacking, and it filled up my lungs. I was on the ventilator at the highest setting, and and Tammy can, to take it from here. You know, I was one day from being put on life support.
2: Yeah, it was um, it was a really difficult time because you know during that eight. 17, 18 days at that point, 16, 17 days, you know, finding something good in every day to share with his parents who hadn't seen him with his boys, his son that was away at college, you know, oh, his temperature came down a little bit today. His blood pressure is starting to come down, trying to find goodness in every day and just, you know, speak that positive over him and that he was strong and he was going to make it through. I'll never forget that day that Dr. Ratzlaff came in. And he, his head was kind of hanging, and I thought, uh oh, this this can't be good. He said, uh, you know, we've got him on the highest settings uh, for the ventilator, and we've tried you know different treatments on him. We've given him all the antibiotic cocktails that we know to give him at this point, and it's starting to affect his kidneys. And you know, we're we're checking his creatin daily, and it looks like we're going to have to start dialysis on him. Um, because he's, he was swelling just incredibly at that point, he just had a lot going against him. His lungs were filling up, his creatinine levels were were not good, and um, so he said, "You know, I've got one thought. I just wanted to run it by you and see what you thought." He said, um, "I think I want to try proning him." He said, "We do this with the COVID patients, and we've had some success. And you know, this is just a few minutes into COVID, so it was a." a something that they had tried with them. And, you know, obviously COVID attacks the lungs that way. So they put him on his um, stomach for 16 hours and then they would flip him over on his back for eight hours and it just kept going, you know, and, you know, two days in it really wasn't making a huge difference. Third day was starting to show some signs of of recovery. And on the fourth day, um, you know, we were good. But he told me before that day, he was going to start the proning. He said, if this doesn't work, you know, we're going to have to put him on life support. I, I and I, I started to ask him, you know, questions about that. And he said, at that point, it really is a 50, 50 chance that he'll pull out of this. Um, And I just remember it was the one time during that 33 days that I felt a little loss of hope because I had been everybody's cheerleader. I had, you know, I have you know, the faith of a lion. And I just know that God can do all things, um, and could heal him. I just truly believe that I had no doubt about that in my mind whatsoever. That was a weak moment. And I remember sitting in the chair and the doctor kind of looked at me because he had not seen that side of me and, and, you know, it was COVID. So he couldn't like hug me or whatever. And he just pat my back and he said, you know, I think this is a good thing. Let's, let's try this. Your husband's obviously very strong to make it to this point and um, let's just go from here. And so that's what they did. And it made the difference. And between the, you know, the cocktail of the antibiotics and also the um, the proning made a huge difference. I'm just thankful that he had that, that innovative thought and tried something new in this
1: situation. As a sidebar to this, we've learned because we've we've gone back through the entire village and we've tried to touch and thank and show appreciation and what can we do long term. Talk a little bit about that a little later, hopefully. But we've learned in going back, we went to back to National Nurses Week in May and, and talked to the nurses. And I met some of them for the first time that met me for 33 days. And one of them came up to Tammy and was talking to her and she said, we became friends with you. Normally we don't try to do that, but you were there for 33 days. And we had a discussion between all of us of who was going to come and talk to you. And nobody wanted to do it to tell you that we're really not sure that Stan's going to make it out of this and you need to start preparing. And so that's just the dynamics that go on. Not only somebody's doing their job and they've got to tell a family member, that, hey, I've become friends with you, and oh, by the way, your husband is probably not going to make this, so what's plan B for you all? And then for Tammy to have to not only take on that, but all that other pressure. So it's just interesting dynamics from that.
2: Being alone during that time with COVID and not having the support of family or friends was incredibly difficult. So that's, that's why I became so close to the nurses and the people at the Reinhardt house where I stayed at the guest house because I didn't have anyone and I didn't want to expose myself to anyone outside the hospital because I I was with him every single day. So yeah, I did grow very, very close to them. And, and I, I would talk about him in front of, you know, with him there in hopes that he heard it and he heard the stories and he was fighting for everything in him. And I just knew if he would just wake up his mind, body, and soul would fight like no ever, no one ever had seen. And um, it was pretty incredible. That's exactly what happened.
0: I'm really glad you, you mentioned the Reinhardt Guest House, Evelyn D. Reinhardt Guest House, because we, and I think it exists as well in the United States, but we in Canada have something called the Ronald McDonald House, which, yeah, same kind of an idea, where families of children that are, terminally ill or receiving cancer treatments or any of the horrible things these poor little tykes have to go through, the families can stay at Ronald McDonald House and it's very close to the hospital so that they have other, well, I don't know how COVID has affected the Ronald McDonald House, but my daughter's done a lot of volunteer work there and it's a nice, cozy family type of setting and then you're not putting yourself at risk having to drive back and forth and you're so exhausted and emotionally just spent that I'm I'm so glad they had something like that for you especially when you were on your own trying to do this and not bringing in anything that could threaten his life
2: absolutely um oddly enough um A few years earlier, my son had done some community and service there and had, you know, cooked meals for the, the residents and had really, it was just a very moving experience for him to be able to serve, you know, families that had someone in the hospital and he would come home and tell me all about it, you know, and he was at an age where he couldn't drive yet. And I just remember thinking, wow, that's, that's amazing. I never thought it would be me. And then a few shortly years forward, it was me. And I can tell you having that home away from home and having that love and support as soon as I walk in, it's like walking into someone's home and they they serve you a meal, they sit down and they listen to you. It didn't matter if it was one o'clock in the morning, there was someone there and you know, took the time to listen and text me and say, hey, we had this meal dropped off. If If you can break away, I've got one with your name on it you know, making sure the rooms were beautiful. The facility is amazing. And um, yeah, we were really thankful to be able to do, a um, to help participate in the fundraiser that they had a few weeks ago. Um, They were able to raise about $100,000 that night. So um, it's a huge part of the community. Um, They do an incredible job and um, it definitely blessed my life for sure and gave me that strength and at least a few hours of sleep before I had to go back you know, yeah. going back the next day.
0: And we will definitely put links for the um, Reinhardt house in the show notes because people can support mm-hmm. we'll try and encourage them to do that because that's a good amount of money, but there's always room for more money and there's always more need. Okay, Stan, so now we have taken you off the ventilator. So can we pick it up there? Talk to us about what now?
1: Uh, slow process. So what was it, sweetie? Five, six days, I guess it was before I started waking up. It wasn't like a big aha moment or whatever. It was waking up and staring and, and different things from that perspective. And, uh, it was, it was a slow process, you know, not recognizing, I I don't remember it. You know, I, I remember in September, the first part of first week of September, Tammy, Tammy did a phenomenal job of documenting pictures through videos through this entire thing, and it's on our website under the timeline, and, and full disclosure, the good and the bad is out there, and some people were like, why was she taking pictures, and if she hadn't had taken, it, w- it was not only documenting what was going on, and so she could see the pluses and the minuses from the treatment. From a therapy perspective, for me, not knowing it, it's been huge in relationship to that part of that recovery, because I have PTSD related to this for a number of different reasons we can talk about and that's one of the things we're championing is awareness of that but but yeah it was uh, it was like five or six days and they would be doing physical therapy they had the thing where they lifted me out of the bed and put me in the chair and I had to learn to sit up and I'd learn to touch my nose again and you know there, there's videos of them taking my arm and touching my nose and can you do this and me staring off into space into you know, no man's land, just like a zombie, because I was not coherent from that perspective.
2: I documented a lot, to be honest with you, because I was sending things to his son, who was very medically minded, um, and also just trying to keep track of, you know, where his heart rate was today. Where was his temperature today? Where was his uh, blood pressure today. What are his levels as far as you know? Oxygen and so forth. And so I, I watched everything I just did, and then plus the fact of his ever-changing body from it just swelling. Um, his hands, his feet, his burns. I was I would take daily pictures of those when the wound care nurse came. She was phenomenal. Her name was Sue, and she educated me so much on those burns because. It carried me through the next 11 months in caring for him and and changing out those dressings and the different um, wound care that I had to do there. So I documented just because I'm a very detail oriented person, but also to convey some of that information to his son who wasn't there with me that was coming in that night. And we could kind of double team and make sure that we felt like he was getting everything he needed, not because he wasn't because they were excellent. But it's just a matter of that second set of eyes and allowing myself and 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 his son to kind of do some research to make sure we were doing everything possible to get him where he needed to be. Now, when he was he came out of the uh, came off of the ventilator. I can remember three or four days in, and he just looked at me like he looked at the nurses. There was no differentiation whatsoever that I was anything special or his sons were anything different. Um, And I had major concerns because, you know, being a new bride of only a year, I'm thinking, how is our remaining of our life going to be? Are we going to, is he going to be able to live out his days at home? Is there brain damage? Um, where are we going from here type thing? So they did do another CT scan. They saw that it was, you know, everything was normal, which was, you know, it truly is a miracle. And it's a testation test to the folks that gave him the CPR initially, they gave good effective CPR that first 11 minutes, which was critical because after four minutes, you can pretty much be a vegetable or have some type of deficiency. And you definitely would see that. I mean, he's extremely intelligent, and the job that he has as a financial analyst—you know—you you 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 dissect a business and all of those things. So you would definitely see that. Um, so he did start to come around. I guess on day five, um, I noticed that you know he was winking at me, and I would tell him I loved him, and he would wink at me. And I remember that day so vividly i was on cloud nine when his son came in that night and i went back to reinhardt house i just felt like we had a breakthrough it was huge he knew who i was and so um that was a big deal and then um he started to talk and you know have a little bit of conversation and you could see that he was agitated i can remember one night vividly when he was having dialysis that um He's very active, obviously with, with all of the things that he does, but he, he had the dialysis machine going and the port in his chest, and he was turning sideways in the bed. And he was thinking, he said, I feel like I should be doing something. I don't know what I should be doing, but I feel like I should be doing something. And um, I said, well, you're, you know, and I would explain to him what was going on and so have you. And I I would bring the um, iPad. So before he could really speak to me or what have you, I would show him videos or pictures of the kids or his parents or things we had done or our wedding or, you know, whatever to stimulate that brain to get it moving. And um, that night to, to kind of calm him down. I was texting his son, Logan, and I said, Logan, I don't know what, what can I put on, you know, to, for him to watch? He said, put on a Jeep video because he has a Jeep and that's something he and his son have in common. And so, you know, it was really odd enough, but it worked. You know, he was just entranced in this Jeep video, but he did start to come around and talk. Um, He unfortunately had kind of a step back um, with his care. Uh, He had pulled out the NG tube, which is the feeding tube. It's a weighted tube that is in the stomach that gives him his, his uh, nutrients because he had, pa- he had failed the swallowing test. So he was not able to eat or drink or that sort of thing, um, after he got off the ventilator. Um, so he pulled that up and then when they pulled it up completely, he had a terrible nosebleed, um, horribly. And, um, I just remember getting there the next morning and there were clots and blood and so forth, ended up getting that treated. And, um, he did have to have three or four blood transfusions. So because of that loss of blood, because of that setback, it was a day or so before he started making that forward progress again. Um, but when he did, he, he definitely woke up and I can remember him, you know, just moving from there, moving his hand to his nose and that's teaching him to eat just the little processes going through swallowing um, sitting on the side of the bed and one funny story is he was um, got up for the first time and he walked across the room and he had his walker very slowly he's got a occupational therapist on this side and a physical therapist on the other side and they're holding you know got his back and his strap around his waist He gets to the end of the wall, which was literally five feet away. And he moves his hand to the side to to motion them to step back. And he proceeds to do a squat. (laughs) And the occupational therapist, they thought he was just going to sit on the floor like he was done. But he he was pushing himself even before he could fully communicate. And they looked at me and they looked at each other and they said, I've never had to chart that one before. Um so he he's pretty amazing when it comes to, you know, pushing his body body to those limits and um he started to to really just come awake and alive and he he was a a force to be reckoned with after that when he woke up.
0: So Tammy, what was, what was the first thing he said, or what is the first thing you remember him saying? And I'm not trying to leave you out of the stand, but I know that maybe that memory isn't all that clear for you. So Tammy, what, uh, what did he say? You now know he recognizes you because he's winking at you. Yeah. Or he thinks you're a hot nurse either, either way. We're
2: <laughs> one of the two. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Many beautiful ladies in that unit. Um, I just remember, um, I would always say, do you know who I am? And he would nod his head. And I remember saying, you know, I love you so much, you're doing great. And I can remember him mumbling, I love you. And I was like, did you say I love you? And and he said it, and then he winked at me. And it was just, um, it was, it was, it was very special. And then little by little, his, you know, brain started to really process things. And he was talking again. And I can remember he really wasn't showing a ton of emotion. He was talking and would answer questions, but he was talking, he was FaceTiming with his son, Logan, who was at college. And he, he, you know, Logan was being so sweet and so supportive. Dad, you're, you're going to, you're going to get through this. You're so strong and really being super encouraging to him. And I remember that Stan just started crying. I mean, like tears started coming out of his eyes and I was like, oh my goodness, where did that emotion come from? So that was a really good sign. And um, then another cute story was I had not gone home to get clothes. I was washing clothes at the Reinhardt house and wearing the same thing kind of over. And Zach, his son, he had started physical therapy and Zach, his son said, you know, um, I'll stay here with him. Why don't you go home? Go, you know, see Roxy, our dog and just get some fresh clothes. So I did. And Stan really didn't want me to leave him much um, at that time. He was, he wanted me close by. And if somebody came, that's fine. They could stay 30 minutes, but he he really wanted me kind of close by. So he called me and he was, he said, When are you when are you coming back? And I said, Well, I should I'm just gathering my things now and I'll be back soon. He says, Well, I want to tell you something. And I said, And it was in his little mischievous voice. I said, What's that? He said, uh I got an idea. I said, "Really?" He's, uh, he said, "Yeah, I want to get a new tattoo because um, <laughs> he has a few tattoos from Iron Man's and, th- and, and accomplishments and things that are meaningful for him." And he said, "Roadkill." I said, "Roadkill." He said, "Yeah, I'm going to get a roadkill tattoo." And I said, "Oh my goodness! Okay, that's 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 amazing." He said, "Yeah, he's going to be upside down, his tongue hanging out, and X eyes." And I laughed so hard because his sense of humor was back. He's got a great sense of humor and that peaked out. So it was like these little bits of just huge hope coming out. Um and things we had been waiting for. It felt like it took a a lifetime, but he was getting there and you know he was coming out of it and he was working really, really hard to to get out. When he went to the step down unit, he met with the doctor the first day and he said, I'm going home tomorrow. And the doctor looked at him and kind of, you know, stood back and he said, I want to go home t- tomorrow. What do I need to do? He says, well, I don't think it's going to be tomorrow, but you know, cause you've got to get a COVID test. You've got to get um, meningitis tests. We need to make sure that you pass the swallow test this time. And, you know, you've got these things. He says, okay. Friday, Friday, I'm going home. And so he always had that goal of, you know, what do I need to do? And then he would be realistic about it or, you know, as as far out as he could be. And uh, he, he left Friday and went to um, physical therapy, which he really can take over from there because he remembers from that moment on. And he was very reluctant about uh, going to physical therapy, but it was the best thing that he could have ever done.
0: For sure. Thank you, Tammy. Oh my God. Okay, Stan. Now you're going to physical therapy. So so is there anything in all of this that Tammy has recounted that you would like to add? Well,
1: yeah, a few things. Just because <clears throat> one is you can see when I, I refer her to her as the CEO of the village, because of what she's just completely not only Putting her emotions aside to be able to control that and as strong as she can be to be able to do whatever she did for everybody. And that's not only for the family, but developing the relationship with the doctors and the nurses, etc. And you have to understand, she was at my side 14 to 16 hours a day. And my sons, as I call the lieutenants, were able to come in for the night shift and somehow them all not doing anything illegal... But getting into the hospital and doing this basically on a twenty 24-7 basis, when the average stay in the hospital is five days, we understand, 33 days. So you have to understand the magnitude of this. The, the, everybody put their life on hold for me. So we go back and you talk about earlier about that energy. I don't have any recollection of that. I wish I did. I started reading books on it and if I could, but I think it's it's more not about me not being able to remember for whatever reason—it's more about the, I think, the antibiotics and the drugs they were giving me and that type of thing—literally knocked my memory and everything out from that perspective. And you know, I was on dialysis from three weeks in the hospital and three weeks out, or so six weeks. Uh, we have—I have a great appreciation for those people that are on that for the rest of their life from that perspective. I'm blessed that I don't have to be, but uh, you know, but from that perspective, but also for. Everything that they managed and Tammy managed through the process is, is just phenomenal to think about. You know, there's not only what I went through and everybody said, oh, you did great, you came back, et cetera, et cetera. But what they had to do and come back and we're learning through this process of the village. And I'm learning, I'm even learning things here today and seeing Tammy's emotion that are that is, you, you just can't sit down and, you know, have a glass of wine or have a beer and talk about these things and get it to come out unless you start talking about it like you do this. So that's one of the things that I have, it's through this process, is probably been one of the longer transition is me learning everything she went through and what she did and everything my family went through and et cetera, but especially them there at the hospital from that perspective. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just phenomenal what they were able to endure and you know i said it all along I, I can't fail at any of this because of what they did and the energy they gave me and my point earlier was even though i can't admit i was feeling it i know i felt it i know it was there i know the energy was there they were my energy you know when i that my mind was shut off my body was there trying to fight this and they were the ones that were thinking for me and giving me that energy from that perspective so she's an, ama- she's an amazing lady. She's just she an amazing lady, is. and you know I have probably taken it for granted during this process a whole lot more than I should have, and and being ignorant of what everything went through, and you know sometimes when you can't remember, you have to replace those memories slowly but surely, and we're trying to do everything we can. But she was she was the rock through this, and you know, and then my boys from that perspective. But definitely she was she was. I don't know how else to phrase it. She was the CEO of the village,
0: and and. What happened when you you're bucking the system here? You don't want to go to the physical <laughs> therapy thing because, like, hey, I'm already in good shape. Yeah, and I don't need, really need this. So, and you, and you, you can, are, yeah. We,
1: and you and you, you can't walk, and you have a walker, and you can't feed yourself, and you can can't go to the bathroom by yourself. But yeah, I'm okay. I can go home.
0: I don't need you people.
1: Well, well, yeah. You know, and, and Tammy was like, mm, this is not going to work, and you can't do this, and et cetera. And my son, who's a physical therapist, is going. Wait a minute, I do this a profession, you know, and not only can I, as your son tell you this, I want to be able to tell you this. So they convinced me to go to physical therapy, and they worked some magic and got me in the top physical therapy hospitals in, or hospitals institutions in Richmond. Been barely been open, I guess, for six months or less, maybe even less than that. And, yeah, we, it, it's, it's ironic. We went into the hospital on August the 9th of 20 and on 9-11 of 20. We just uh, happened to be nine eleven. We left on that um, and went into physical therapy, and I was supposed to be there for three weeks, and we got out in seven days, um, and the interesting part about that, I can remember, you know, at this point, I'm starting to remember stuff. I remember a little bit of stuff about the hospital, uh, but I definitely remember getting in the car and driving out and going to physical therapy and, and arriving there, and again, I understand I had somebody with me and mainly Tammy for this entire process, and so we get to physical therapy, and they check you in, and it's state of the art, et cetera. And I can, Tammy went home, rightfully so. There's no reason for her to stay. Uh, and I can remember, and you know, through this process, we are full disclosure with everything that went on. I mean, we're we're blessed to be where we are, but it's not all just a, you know yellow brick road that we got here. And there's been trials and tribulations, and darkness, and doubts, and sca- you know, being scared, and et cetera. And I can remember on nine eleven that night, sitting there. In a chair with a walker in front of me, not a lot of lights on in the room, looking outside. And obviously, I wanted to be outside. I hadn't been outside in 33 days except to go from the car. And looking out the window and broke down, just cried like a baby and said, what the heck just happened? And that was my realization. So think about it. You know, I go out for a bike ride for, for seven miles. I drop dead. And 33 days later, I get to start trying to take ownership of this and what happened. And that was one of the toughest days that I've I had through the process because I was like trying to come to terms with this guy that was healthy, a vegetarian, 25 marathons, five Ironman triathlons, had never had anything, and you have a genetic issue that you're not aware of and too invul- vulnerable to even think about because... I was doing the right things. I was being proactive with my health, and all of a sudden, this happens. And so, um, and that's one of the messages through this we've learned, and hopefully, we can talk about that later. But, but one of the things I've learned, you've got to be proactive with your health. And I don't disagree with anything I ever done have done because I've been active since I was in the second grade of playing peewee football and getting through this, but. Also, I never anticipated that I was preparing myself so when I had an accident like this, that I could, my body could be reactive when I can't physically think through it. And my family did everything in their power to do it. And you've got to think about there's two parts to this. Physical fitness and health is proactive. And can you fight off when you get attacked by something? And we were able to do this.
0: And I'm glad you answered that question because, Dan, I was going to say, what was the toughest part for you, the darkest, and you've just answered it, that night on 9-11, um, yeah, looking, yes, looking yeah. outside and, mm-hmm. and, and starting to maybe understand, embrace, get your head around what's happened.
1: Mm-hmm. It, ab- absolutely. I mean, I've always said no matter what you do, and, and again, whether it's in your career, your life, your f- health and fitness, you've got to start somewhere. I had a new starting point. I had done multiple races and I thought I had pushed my body and my mind to the brink of the the darkest side. When you do an Ironman and you get out there and you've been out there for 11 or 12 hours and now you got to do a marathon, you get to some dark places. I'd never been in this place. And that next day was, I went to sleep. I didn't sleep a lot that night. And, you know, I woke up the next day saying, all right, let's go. Let's figure this out and see what we got to do to get out of here. And, uh, I can remember to this point that the the doctors came in and teaching hospitals or institutions, so they've got a bunch of people and stuff like that, and they were phenomenal with what they did. And they, you know, I had speech therapy, I had occupational therapy, I had physical therapy, you know, and that, so I went through the whole gamut because I'm learning to live again and to to process things. And so I was asked the doctor what I had to do, and she was like, "You need to do like these seven different things that you've got to do to check out of here," and so. I started chipping them off. I just started going in and saying, okay, and I, I talked to the, the the technicians there and I mentioned to one of them one day and it was just in the conversation to say, because we went down the road the bike and, you know, they put me in a harness so I had to learn to walk by myself and get the muscles. Cause I lost, you know, over this process, I lost, in 33 days, I lost 33 pounds. So, you know, there's a lot of muscle mass and probably a, a lot of fat that I could have lost and she was good from that perspective. We can all lose some. Um, but, I said, can I do extra? Can I take a bike ride? You know, because I'm a stationary bike. And she came to get me the second day and said, listen, I've got an extra 30 minutes you wanna go. So I did that two or three different times while I was there. Just, it was great just to get out of the room and to spin and to do different things. But, so, you know, we progressed along with this and went through the normal physical therapy, but about day, we were there seven days, I guess day four or five, I was talking to the doctor, well, I've done this, this, and this. I've checked these off. And she said, we gotta do this. Came in day five and said, okay, I got two more to do, when can I go home? Well, we'll see, we gotta get your dialysis in order, see how you're doing. Day six, she came in and I said, I'm done. I've done them all. What haven't I passed? And, she looked, and of course, there's like 16 people in the room. And she looks around the room going, well, okay, let's see, about getting you out of here tomorrow. And we went home the next day, we went home day seven. And, what a feeling. Uh, it was. It was amazing. Now, was there a lot of hard work in there? Absolutely. Oh, yeah absolutely i was being a new hospital and i wanted to get outside i wanted to get outside so bad and so i was talking to one of the occupational therapies of course i'm learning to learn how to load a dishwasher and how to learn how to do different things and etc just because you know full clothes and etc and uh, i said i'm not real good at that at home <laughs> but <laughs> to be honest <laughs> uh, but i'm doing it here and so i said can i go outside she said we're really not supposed to do that i'm like really? Please. And she's like, okay. So we went outside. I was one of the first people to ever go outside at the place. And the last day there, which was, I guess, day seven, I had, there were two of the chief physical therapists there. One of them used to be a trainer for the Carolina Panthers and the other lady was, was had great experience from athletes and that type of thing. So you know, I told them, "Let's you got to push me till I'm harder than I've ever been pushed and we'll see where this goes. But she took me outside with the walker. She said, we're going to walk down to the end of the, to the sidewalk. And of course, this is a pretty significant building. We get down there, and I'm thinking, okay, we're pretty far away from the door. <laughs> now I'm like the opposite. Okay, how am I going to get back? And she's like, okay, we'll make this turn. So I made this turn and went down another sidewalk. I made another turn and went down another sidewalk. We walked around the building, and she's like, you're the first person to ever do that. I just want you to know, but I knew you needed to do it to get out of here. And so we're getting ready to go up. Um, this is another funny story. And again, I love, you know, I asked for this. I asked to be pushed and they pushed me further and quicker than, you know, and, and they, but they were doing their jobs and they were monitoring it and et cetera. So they were doing all the right things, but they were pushing the envelope. So we get to the elevators. She's like, come over here. She opens up the doors to the steps. And I'm like, okay. She said, okay, let's go. And I didn't realize. And I was like, okay, I can go up one flight. But I didn't realize it's a vaulted ceiling. So it's two floors to get to the floor that I was on. So I get up to the top floor and I'm just just tanked. I'm huffing and I'm puffing. I'm exhausted. You think I'd run 25 miles? And she's like, well, you're another the first one to get that. And I said, would well, you have a Sharpie? I can at least shine the steps or something. <laughs> and, <she's, laughs> and so, yeah. So we went home the next day from that perspective. But I don't want anybody get to get get the impression that any of this was just a cakewalk from that perspective because, and it's not that it's me pounding my chest to say, I'm this this supernatural person and I'm super healthy to do this. It's not that it's having the village starting with the people that day that cared enough to give me CPR to the first responders to Tammy leading the village, to my sons, to my family and to all the friends and everything like that. It takes a village. And again, I go back to saying with everything that I was realizing that happened to me and everything that people put in my path, people, meaning the people that were willing to do it because God gave them the encouragement to do that and the guidance to do that. I can't fail at this. It's no, it's, there's not an option to fail. Setbacks, doubt, being scared and being uncertain, but there's no can't involved in this. And that's part of our tagline with our website. It's you know, it's it's embracing the journey and erasing the can't, because there's no, you can't let can't be an issue with this.
0: Absolutely. Fifteen months later, you're completing your 26th marathon, so that's a checkbox. So 15 months after this horrific, almost deadly accident, you complete another um, marathon. And I, if I'm right, I understand you're doing an Ironman this September, right, Stan?
1: Correct. Yeah, September the 17th, God willing, and everything continues to line up. And it's in that right direction. A little like 70 days or something like that now. Out. So, yeah. Um, this was something natural for me to do. It's not a necessity, for, but it's it's part of who I am. And it was something. And it gave me that, you know, but it made, I have a new appreciation for the whole thing because uh, you know, and maybe this is the wrong way to think about this, but you can't start any lower than being dead <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, so it was definitely and i had i had p t s d related to this and 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 Tammy went through some of the 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 pains of of us defining that by us being at home one of the first times as we're laying on the couch we spoon when we watch t v some And she was laying in front of me, and I was laying behind her and fell asleep and was up against the couch and woke up in a panic and jumped up and was like feeling trapped and couldn't figure out what was going on. And uh, long story short, I I was restrained during that 19 days, and my body remembers that even though Mm. my mind doesn't. And you get into this whole mind-body memory, and there's both. Your body can remember things that your mind can't and vice versa. And so I learned through this entire process that I was, I had that PTSD related to that and found a great counselor and had to go through that piece of it. You know, I became grumpier than I've normally been. We have our typical disagreements, but, you know, I was a little bit grumpier and we couldn't figure out why. And then I just sought out a counselor to help me deal with it. I also used to, when I started running again, and first it was walks and into the driveway and et cetera. Our driveway is about a tenth of a mile. We live in the country. And I remember walking up this little hill and stopping four times, four times going up a hill that's less than. 100 yards thinking wow okay we got a long ways to go here but we're going to figure this out and um but then going out on runs and my heart rate getting up and having a panic attack when i was running and what i've learned is that my body was remembering how high my heart rate got before i died and it was having a panic attack it was remembering that it was i was having to, yeah it was reacting to that so what i had to learn to do i used to be a personal trainer I had to learn back and so I'd go out on a run and almost disassociate myself from my run and say, mm-hmm. OK, you're training this guy that just had a heart attack and he's been this. What are you going to do? And and basically the, the thought process was my therapy was talking myself through that piece of it. Slow down. You can't do the same speed you did before. The mind remembered what you did. Your body's not ready for that. So, you know, the, you know, these runs became run walks. But it wasn't stopping; it just was transitioning into something mm-hmm. different to accommodate the situation so we could go to the next level and I think a lot of people beat themselves up and i when I used to train people and talking to people now, I didn't start running a marathon by start running a marathon. I started by a one mile run who led to a five k race who led to a ten k who led to a half and that's over. You know, I started in 1991, so it's how long has that been from even from a marathon? People don't give themselves enough credit for what they can do right now. Whatever you have now, work with that and work with that until you can take it to the next level and don't try to look too far out because you can have a goal, but if you don't have a process and a plan in the interim, you're setting yourself up for failure and you're setting yourself up for self-doubt.
0: That is an incredible message. And I want to jump now to what you're doing now because this is just such an exciting thing for me to talk to you about. Ironwill.live is your website. Embrace the journey and erase the can't. I mean, everybody on the planet needs to go and visit this website because everybody on the planet needs to have their, their life shaken up by the stuff that you've gone through and the fact that you've come back from the dead. What doesn't? I've got a quote here. What doesn't kill you for thirty-three minutes will make you stronger, right? It's <laughs> like you're you've come back from the dead, and you're and you've got a tongue-in-cheek attitude about it, and it's amazing, and it's amazing. So, talk to us about what you're now doing, what you and Tammy are doing in this ironwill.live. I know it's not fully formed in terms of what does the future look like, but let's just talk about what you're feeling, what you're doing, how you're giving back with this website and with the work you're doing in your communities.
1: Well, what we originally set it up for was an awareness. And that's the biggest word of people that went first, people like myself that go through this and people like Tammy and our families who go through this. And then the first responders, and the the bystanders that were there. But if you're going through something like this to give hope, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I say it's not a train, <laughs> but it's, there's a light there from that perspective. And you can do it, but you have to use, it's about effort and attitude. And that boils down to that. You take the effort and the attitude and you channel it in that, everything else will fall into place. But you've got to be committed to the process. And you have to be, you said, you have to be persistently patient to do that. And that's a lot of it and sometimes to your point earlier who puts expectations for us to go out of the box and run a 5k we do we think yeah that's my expectation it's nobody else's and you have to lower those expectations that's not failure failure that's having a process to get there so with the website was one making people aware that you're not alone and we i would love to hear from people out there we have a way of which you can share your story and if you just want a conversation tammy and i can have a conversation whether it's a spouse or whether it's somebody like myself, my kids, somebody going through that, don't go alone because you don't have to. We can share stories, and we may disagree on how we're doing it, but we can at least share and be that village. So that's the first part of it. Then appreciation, appreciation for those bystanders and bystander CPR and how important that is. There's things out there for resources about PTSD and about how to do CPR and how to get help from that perspective things we didn't know, what to expect in the hospital and what rights you have within the hospital of making those decisions. Tammy, basically unknowingly, was challenging in the politically correct way the system Mm. of, one, just getting into the hospital and it's okay to do that. And then, you know, recognizing all the people along that village and we've done appreciation for them and never let them forget that, you know, I stand up in, in talks and say, if you ever doubt your job, call me because I will tell you, right here is living testimony that you did a great job because I'm standing here today and I appreciate what you're doing. And I know through COVID it's been extremely hard. So that piece of it. And then we learned through the first responders and the firefighters that approximately a hundred firefighters perish a year in the line of duty and 50 are from cardiac arrest. So in working with the local community as we've gotten to know the guys here, um, I used to be a personal trainer. got talking to the fire chief and saying, listen, what about if we do a fitness class every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock at our local high school? It's raining. We'll do it inside. It's not rocket science stuff. It's giving them the opportunity to come work out. It's showing them how to do things by running and doing push-ups and burpees and planks and different things that they can do on their own body weight because a lot of times they're hesitant to do it while they're on shift and not knowing what to do. And then when they get off. So, we're trying to help educate them and, and guide them in the right direction to do that piece of it from that perspective.
0: I bet they just love it. Well, maybe hate it. And
1: the same time, <laughs> yeah, I tell, I tell them that they can hate it. They can hate me today and like me, love me tomorrow. And that type of thing. So, <laughs> you know, they're enjoying it. They're learning something. It gives me every Sunday an opportunity to go and give back and to thank them. But it's not about me. But it's, And, and we, we, we joke and we kid and we have a good time. But the other part of it is in my heart of hearts, and I will say this till the day I die again, if one person is willing to listen, we can make a difference, but this was no joke. And I was the invincible guy that was healthy and a vegetarian and did what I thought I was doing was the right thing and I ignored my genetics because I have some heart disease in my family but I was the guy that said, it's not going to happen to me. It can happen to you. So mm-hmm. pay attention to your genetics. What's That's a clue, you, you know, and then see how you can get tests on that. We learned about a, a CT scan that you can do. In the U.S., it's about $160. It's non-invasive. It takes 15 minutes to do. It takes a 3D image of your heart. So it's making people aware of that. And I really believe that as well as eating and going to work and doing what you're doing, health and physical fitness is a big part of our life. It needs to be. It will be a thing I will champion for a long time. And we get diversions a lot by the things we carry around in our hand to communicate and we get on the TV and et cetera. We have to have enough self-care to do that.
0: I have such a great feeling about what you and, and the the, well, the journey, live and where this may go for you. So, two more things. Number one, um, before I let you both go, we met because of John Cullen. So, I want to do a shout out to John Cullen. Absolutely. So, John Cullen's episode has already been aired. It's just Parkinson's. And John tells me that you were hired by John right out of school.
1: John, yes, John hired me, gave me my first job ever out of school when I was in 1984, when I was very naive and innocent. And we gave me my first job, but he also got me into commuting on a bike. He commuted as he mentioned in his story, for a number of years and got me into to riding a bike in Richmond, Virginia. And I did that with him for eight years and we used to go out and ride after work. So he's definitely a, a very close friend and one of those friends that, you know, you lose touch with over the years when things happened and then we've regained touch and we've committed not to lose touch now from now on.
0: How can the world that is listening to this podcast support you? I'm talking about standing up with you about the things that you were working so hard for with ironwill.live. I mean, how can people follow you, connect with you, get in touch with you, support you? That's This is the big call out.
1: Well, as far as ironwill.live is is the main website, and there's a way in there, info at ironwill.live, that you can contact us, and it's just us. From that perspective, it's no major conglomerate, etc. Um, you know, to get in touch with us, share your story, questions, anything you'd like to see on a website, et cetera, et cetera. We'd love to be able to hear from you from there. We also have two Instagram pages. One is at ironwheel.live. That's what I've really turned into my motivational piece. Of. It's just a quote every morning that comes out. Uh, people ask me why, and I said it's as much for me as anything else. And I figure if I can use it, somebody else can, so it's out there to share from that perspective. And I post it on my individual story. And then I just recently started one which is a little bit more... A kind of in your face with the journey, but I don't want people to forget it's called Iron Wheel Strong. And it's 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 photos out there of the goods and the bads and and the, the motivational piece, but basically to show people me in the walk or in the wheelchair. It will later be some of the things that our family has gone through and those those type of things from that perspective. Tammy, do you want to add anything to, to that?
2: Um, I would just say that um, never take your loved ones for granted. Um, and never assume just because you're in phenomenal shape, and that you can run and do races, and that you eat really, really healthy, that it couldn't happen to you. Because I certainly, you know, where we were, um, as a family, I, you know, I, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm pretty healthy and exercise, not to the extent that he does, but um, never ever thought that, that that would happen to him. And I also would say that, I know in my line of work, you've got to prepare for the unexpected. And in Stan's case, he was preparing his body before he ever you know, came up against this fight um, and just never, ever you know, take for granted that you're going to be fine because the things that you give your body, the things that you're feeding your body, the things that you're feeding your mind, all make a difference in the fight of your life if you ever encounter it that way.
1: And definitely. And, and one other thing, Marilyn, I'd like to to leave your audience with, and it's been a huge, you know, you have the dark sides, and we talked about where we went, but one of the things, and I have to thank Tammy for the initial pieces, there's a book out there, and it's actually a documentary called The Miracle Morning. It's a gentleman that went through a similar type situation that I did. He came up with this process that he uses every morning, and I've taken that because I used to be, a. am a big journaler, and I'm a big reader, and I've taken that, and i modified that, and, and I call it protecting my peace, And I feel like that a lot of times in this day and age, and not to get on the soapbox again, but we start in a deficit every morning because Mm -hmm. we get up late or we get up and we're not in the right frame of mind. And then we're trying to play catch up all day long. So I literally get up every morning an hour and a half before I need to. I make my coffee. I go to the basement. And I have this six step process. And it's called what I call for me protecting my peace. And it's brought me through. You know, Tammy gave me this book a year ago. I read it. I modified this because I was doing some things and now I haven't missed a day in a year. And if I did the marathon and I had to be at at the race site at five thirty, I'm up at three o'clock because it's that important for me mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. But it starts out with an affirmation and I have a book I read and, and reflect on that. And then it's reflection and silence for me. It's where I have my time with, with God and where I read the Bible and I go through and I pray. And, you know, they say intuition is when God speaks to you and prayers when you speak to him. And I use mm-hmm. both sides of that equation. And then I read. I read about fifteen to 20, 12 to 15 books a year, 10, 10 pages at a time. So that's the third part of that is is the reading, a book I enjoy learning, mm-hmm. whatever. From there, it's I do a little bit of yoga and stretching to get the blood flowing. And then from that process, I go into meditation or if you don't want to do meditation, you can do silence. I do that for 10 minutes and then I journal. That's my hour and that's my hour I give to me every day. It's selfish, maybe, but it's how I need to, to start my day and it puts me in the right frame of mind. So I would encourage every you, listener out there, find out what you need to start your day to protect your peace out of the box each day, mm-hmm. whether it's 10 minutes or an hour. Give that to yourself. It makes a world of difference in keeping the calm and the chaos at bay.
0: This has been life-changing for me. I want to thank you both from the bottom of my heart for giving us so much of your time and for telling your stories. ironwill.live is just getting started. I see you inspiring so many people during their times of need because you've certainly inspired us today. So thank you both so much for coming on Breaking Brave. I so appreciate
1: it. Thank you, Marilyn. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Brave. For updates between episodes, please visit my website, MarilynBarefoot.com. You can also find me at Marilyn That's it for today. See you next time.